You guys, hi, I'm Charlie Bleeker. And I'm Sam Bleeker. And this is Bleeker Bombs, a podcast where we talk about all our struggles, marital, parental, financial, and personal. Let's do this. This is very exciting. We have our first ever guests on the podcast. Here with us is my college roommate. We're going to call her Ellie. And her husband, we're going to call him Norm. Like most of my most brilliant ideas, this was Sam's idea. And they were coming to visit us this weekend. And I was like, or Sam was like, why don't we have them on the podcast? And I'm really excited to do this because this is our 11th episode. And the thing that Sam and I have realized from doing it is that it's a really awesome opportunity for the two of us to kind of connect because we've got two babies under two. You guys have two under three. So you can relate to not having like the time for like date night. And it's really just a nice chance for us to communicate. And we find that like having a microphone in front of you makes us listen to each other better for some reason. Yeah, we were talking about couples therapy earlier, mm-hmm. and this is our version of couples therapy. Exactly, it's our <laughs> own couples therapy. So- have you seen that there's an SNL sketch that is like a at-home podcasting playset for fathers and sons where the sons are like teenagers. And it's basically like the joke is it's the only way that you'll end up communicating <laughs> with your teenage son. And like fathers and sons can have real conversations as if they're recording a podcast. Um, it sounds like you brought this to life. Yeah. And uh, how fun is it going to be when George and Layla can join us as guests? It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we got a little ways to go on that. But yeah, so, I mean, welcome, you guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing with this with us. It's about uh, two, almost 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We've got our oldest kids napping, and our littlest ones are here in the room with us. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Great yes. to be here. Yeah. So a quick introduction. So my college roommate, Ellie, is here, and her husband, Norm, who I don't know too much about. I know that you're an entrepreneur. I know that you run a startup. And I know that Sam and I recently listened to you as a guest on a podcast, and I honestly couldn't follow most of the beginning until you started talking about the fact that you do improv, and then I was all in. All right. (laughs) And Uh, it's so funny. It was like you were coming to visit. I had never met you. It was totally like my version of online dating. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) I need to look this guy up. And for context, startup founder, I think you're very much at the growth stage you've raised over a hundred million dollars just to give a, a sense of scale um for the, the listeners Great. yeah it's uh um i've been doing this for almost 20 years now this is my third company and uh you know it gets you get uh, a lot more forward credit with the later ones where you know investors are willing to come back and back you again so uh very very early on this venture but um have a lot of great people behind us cool well, let's get into it. This is something that Sam and I think about all the time. So I definitely think about all the time is how I grew up, you know, not with money. And now Sam and I are doing well. And I'm so worried about my kids being spoiled and not having like grit and not working hard and having things handed to them. But also at the same time, it's like, it's really amazing that we can provide um, an awesome life for them. And so I wonder if you guys have talked about that and how you think about raising your kids so that they aren't spoiled. I think about it all the time. And I've told Norm we're not allowed to get that butler for that very reason. (laughs) (laughs) 
Butler is off limits. <laughs> if we don't call this person a butler, I feel like that, you know there's some middle ground there. And I kind of laugh about it because the the help that he's describing that he would like to have in the house is Carson from. Um, <laughs> Fresh Prince of Bel Air. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, that's Jeffrey. Downton Abbey. Uh, yeah. Abbey. <laughs> Although, if Carlton from the West of Fresh Prince of Bel Air wants to come fold our laundry, <laughs> I will pay double. Yeah. Uh, that would actually probably help keep them down to earth. True. Yeah. No, I more meant Carson from Downton uh, Abbey, who runs the house. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's get spi- like, say you sell this company for $5 billion, you have extreme wealth. How are you going to navigate that with your kids in terms of not allowing them to grow up spoiled? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, how much have you thought about leaving them potentially? Like all of those dynamics. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that selling a company for a billion dollars would actually change anything because I think we've already passed the threshold at which there is a severe level of discomfort with our personal situation and what we need to figure out about, you know, how we set them up for the future. So like, I think there comes a point where if there is some extreme windfall that is like multi-generational dollars, it's really a question of, do you put it, there's just more in the bucket that we set up or there's some, you know, Warren Buffett style, extreme charitable giving option, which, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, I think we kind of lean toward the latter, but I don't think there needs to be like a fictional future scenario for the problem to be real. I feel like it's a, it's actually like a real tangible thing in our lives. So Ellie, you said you think about this all the time and you're worried about it. What are you like exactly worried about? Okay. So, I mean, we have a big house and I can't clean that house myself while I'm raising two kids. So like we have a cleaning lady. And it's really nice when the house is clean, so she comes every week. It's a whole cleaning team. And it already bothers me (laughs) that Emily will say, you know, oh, the cleaning lady will get that. Or like, oh, the cleaners, you know. And she, it's just a normal part of her life that these cleaners come. And I didn't grow up that way. So, you know, I eventually have in my head like, oh, well, maybe when she's old enough, She'll have chores anyway. Like, she'll have chores. But then I think about it. I didn't have chores. Mm. So even though we didn't have a cleaning lady or, or anything, like, it was never um, those kinds of responsibilities and things were never really put on me anyway. My parents kept things pretty laid back at home. So it's like, well, I don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it to, like, teach her a lesson, you know. But at the same time, I want her to know that, like, it's not really – too normal to have cleaning ladies come to your house every week. Yeah, every single summer that I was in high school, like I was, I had to get a summer job. I worked all summer long. What um, do you mean? Your parents yeah. told you you had to? Yeah, uh, from my sophomore year of high school onward. Um, I and I was like the exact opposite. I never summer. had to get a job. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And I think like they could have just given, you know, I made like literally seven twenty-five an hour or something like that, right? Like they could have given me an allowance or... Uh, but it was purely like infused for the sake of like putting work ethic uh, in. Um, and this was, I also like did not grow up with money in any way. Um, actually, when you ask that question about what if we sell the business for a ton of money or whatever else, the thing I'm terrified of is that there's a phase in my life that's 10 years from now when the girls are in junior high or in high school and I have like sold the company and retired and I'm like 
sitting, I'm like retired at 45 or I'm like sitting around looking like I'm on vacation all the time. Like I, the extent to which I have like a, a ridiculous work ethic has defined my entire identity and also is like where I get my self-actualization from is absolutely huge. And if they happen to be coming of age at a time when it looks like that's actually not the case and that's what is being impressed upon them, then I, I think it could have absolutely catastrophic effects. So it's almost like I want to be working ridiculously hard when they are in that age range, which creates this big conundrum because then you don't get to spend the time that you want to spend with them or you can't be as helpful and available at home. Uh, but I know my girls to see me like not working, not going to work, not spending time working. Like I actually think that I get so much of my happiness and satisfaction and like intellectual curiosity out of that work ethic. And I owe so much of what I've been able to accomplish to it that like, if I impart anything, it's that. And that's something I feel like you learn by, by example. Totally. No, I completely agree with that. It's like you're exemplifying grit and they pick up on that. I also think work ethic comes down to curiosity and like finding things you're deeply passionate about. How do you think about cultivating curiosity in your kids? I was at a dinner recently and there was somebody there. It's got like a, a similar age kid. And he told this story about how like everybody's talking about how their kids like, you know, want to watch YouTube all the time. And like, how do we get the phones away from the kid? And this guy's like, oh, it's really simple. I just tell my kid, um, he only thinks that there's two kinds of videos that exist in the world, rocket launches and classical music. So I asked the kid, like, do you want the symphony tonight or do you want to watch the last <laughs> SpaceX launch? And the kid loves that stuff. And that's the only two things he thinks exist. And like, I, first of all, I hate it when people, it's like a weird little, uh, makes you self-aware and self-conscious of your own uh, misparenting by, uh, by having people say that stuff. But then you think about it beyond the first layer and it's like, what if it's kids like not naturally inclined to like classical music or rocket launches and like what is what is not you know being cultivated in in that kid's brain because it's so narrowly scoped by what the parents think qualifies as important or interesting so yeah um i actually feel like not being overly prescriptive um is kind of the strategy at the moment while also just trying so hard to cultivate like willpower and uh, and by willpower, I just mean the ability to stay focused on something for more than a couple seconds at a time. Um, and the capacity for having a attention span that allows you to go deep into a subject, um, rather than kind of, uh, I say this as I was talking last night at dinner about how much I love TikTok and it's my favorite uh, social app ever, but, um, it's really the anti TikTokness of, of intellectual curiosity. Let me try to give you my take on this. Okay. So I think about when I was a when I was young, and I think that my parents, and probably my parents' generation, when they thought about raising kids, they really wanted us to be able to get a job and support ourselves financially. I don't know if that's how your parents were too. Like you gotta oh, go yeah. to college and get a good oh, job. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. you, you know, you went to school for business. Your dad mm-hmm. was like, business is a smart degree to do because you can get a job and make good money. So. I felt like my parents like felt like that was like their number one job was to make sure that I did that. And so when I was into things like lip syncing or, you know, the play or things that they were like, that's great. And and it's not like they were like, you shouldn't be interested in that. But they didn't like feed that so that like, even though that's what I like was really excited about, they were like, that's just something silly that you do on the weekends with your friends 
but you know and like being into writing they were like yeah you can get a job as a writer but it's not going to pay well Mm -hmm. and so with my kids I think about how whatever they're into I just want to be like their biggest fans and like support that I don't care about what money they can get out of it and I understand why my parents did that yeah but I think especially nowadays with the how innovative you can be with making money like they who knows what their interests and passions could turn into right I remember when we were in college I was always like Ellie you need to get a job something with scrapbooking because you are (laughs) so good at it and I remember I had a I had like a marketing class or something and I had to create a storyboard and it was like my nightmare because I didn't know how to draw and so Ellie did my homework for me and it was like the most proud I've been of anything I've handed in because it was so good and she did it in like five seconds and she loved doing it and I was just like Ellie was so talented and she was going to school for business yeah that's things don't necessarily they're not like but at the time it was just like well there's nothing oh, to but do i hated it. my courses i hated my courses i mean finance uh, it was terrible i hated finance i hated accounting i did it just to do it i don't know if you remember this i picked my major at the very last minute like it was yeah. like time like there was a deadline i had to pick and at that point i already had so many credits in the business column that to like start fresh in a new column was just gonna make me have to work twice as hard to get them all done but i do i was gonna bring that up i remember you were like you should be a kindergarten teacher like you were just it's like crafts and you, you know you'd be so good at it and you're creative and the kids would love you and uh i remember saying that to my dad like i think you know maybe like uh, i'll be a kindergarten teacher and he was no i am not paying for you to go to mom so that you can be a kindergarten teacher so there was like some pressure on like what your major is what would your job be um I have always felt that, you know, I have an older sister and um, we were sort of treated differently. Like she did get summer jobs. I was never forced to. It was kind of um, a double standard a little bit. And then after she graduated, she moved back home and uh, she was supposed to be saving up for a graduate degree. But instead, she traveled everywhere. And my parents, I think they felt a little... um, you know, like slighted, like, hey, you know, you're supposed to be living here for free so that you can do this other thing with your life. And instead, you're kind of blowing it on experiences. So they were like, we're going to learn our lesson and not let the other one do this. And then when it was my turn, I just graduate. I move home. I expected some time to be like to, to, you know, interview, find out what I really wanted to do. And there was pressure on me to get a job. I mean, I was getting a lot of pressure. Like, you can't just live, you know, you can't just live here for free and not work. And, you know, I think they were worried I was going to follow in my sister's footsteps. So I ended up getting a job that I didn't necessarily want. Um, I had to move out of the house because it was, otherwise I was going to have to commute two hours. My rent at the time was higher than what my paycheck was. So I was paying to live at a place to have this job, but the job didn't pay enough for the place. It was like such a weird backward, you know, thing. But um, what an experience. It was, go- it was great for me. It was really good to have that push to get out of the house, yeah. take this job. I, I have friends. This is like a life experience that looking back on, I did feel like it was kind of a crappy situation at the time, but it really shaped me and I'm very happy with, you know, 
the fact that that happened to me. So and now when you think about your kids, how do you think differently about it? I mean, back to that first question of like being worried of them coming from money. I think the the better side of that is like when you take money out of the equation, there is no pressure to do anything for money and you can really do anything because you love it. Right. And I like that. I, I think that's like a really good thing. You know, it's just there's a fine line of like, you know, find what you love. Don't just find what is like fun and fulfilling for the moment. Like, yeah, I, this is like I totally agree with that. And I think this is where I, that the like the question of letting the pursuit of the things that interest you do exclusively dominate like where the energy gets spent can in my view be like super dangerous uh hold on one second <laughs> this is recorded on tape right this is still <laughs> this, is, this is 1987 uh yes yeah, so i i think there's a this is as all things are this is skewed by my personal experience but i think there is such a thing as like different ways that time and energy can be spent getting good at something have different levels of unlocked unlocking satisfaction to them like i wouldn't say that i necessarily loved that i went to college for engineering and like boy did i hate my first two years of college it was extremely hard i felt like my high school grossly underprepared me for the work I had to do to catch up, uh, I would have had so much more fun like switching to a degree that was maybe less challenging or maybe I was always really into uh, the stuff on the liberal arts side, actually more so than on the engineering side. Um, but having gone like down into the chasm allowed me to access like a realization that I actually had something locked up in my like innate capabilities that once I was trained on it and kind of learned how to learn in those ways, I think I was better at that than I would have been at the stuff that I, if I would have just gone after the thing that I was interested in when I was 16 years old uh, and just like gone way down that rabbit hole. And like, it's been uh, such an incredible, so I, I, like a real, real, real source of like my own inner happiness and growth and like identity have come out of having gone uh, into this uncomfortable area that uh, felt like it might be correlated with a really good upside on the other side. And I think it can be risky when, especially when kids are like in their formative years to, um, just fun, like turn them into a heat seeking missile for the thing that's interesting at that time, because like your brain is not fully formed at that time. And you, like it is, your brain is the softest and mushiest and most able to learn and adapt. And like, yeah, no kid ever wants to learn a foreign language. No kid ever wants to go to like friend, like, you know, learn Mandarin in high school or whatever else. But like, some percentage of people, you get that you do that work, you get the unlock, and it actually ends up becoming this huge part of your identity that brings you happiness. So, like, I I would be worried about, like, the it, it's almost like the TikTokian version of like trying to find the pursuit of happiness. Um, where I think like when you're young, having the ability and the like brain capacity and the time to go deep in multiple areas, while some of it might not be pleasant for you one out of those six or seven or eight subjects, once you get deep, deep into it, might actually unlock something that you would have been never been able to access otherwise. Um, and if you don't do that unlock, then you end up in this, in this space where the stuff that you have to choose from 
is limited to the stuff that you happen to be good at at that moment of your life when you started like deciding where you were going to go deep. Are you um, saying that basically it's it's good for you to have to learn and go through experiences that you don't enjoy or that you struggle with in order to get to the things that you really want to do? Yeah, I think you're like basically... I think that 14-year-old me would have probably been wrong about the things that I actually want to do as 30-year-old me. And had I not kind of partly through the encouragement and steering of my parents been forced to go through things that made me uncomfortable or do things that didn't necessarily feel like a fit at that time, I never would have been able to find what I've found now. Mm. Um, There's no way to know for sure. There's no way to know for sure, but I think what you can do is because kids are super smart and resilient and their brains are really squishy, you can expose them to a lot of stuff, including stuff they don't want to do and stuff they're not interested in um, because they might not be interested in the 101 level or the 201 level, but something clicks when they get to the 301 and it's like, holy crap, I want to make this my life. From, from your dad or like my, you know, our parents' standpoint, a lot of it has to do with financial independence and security and not ending up, uh, you know, kind of being the proverbial like, person on the street with a cardboard sign. I think there's also a part of that, which is how do you end up on that street? You, you don't end up being deep enough in anything to be able to like sustain having a real career. Yeah, sometimes like the p- things you're most passionate about come about after you get to like a level below the surface, I feel. And then also sometimes, even if you're passionate about it, it's still going to be hard. And so developing that willpower as you defined it to like get through that depth of despair. It's funny, necessary. a lot of the stuff that I, I want to geek out on with my kids, I feel like when I was, or w- when I envisioned geeking out on with my kids in you know 10 years or whatever, I feel like when I was 12, I would have never wanted to geek out on, right? Like my, if my dad tried to expose me to it or something, I would have like rolled my eyes or tried to find something else. Um, and it's this really interesting cycle. Like, turns out, uh, I think he knew what he was doing and having me get a summer job every single summer fed into the work ethic that fed into not dropping out of college when the really hard stuff came and focusing on the engineering stuff in college came from my dad really trying to push me in that direction because of some aptitude that he saw um, that it was very difficult to kind of, as a 16-year-old, like be introspective enough to see in myself. So how do you feel about your daughters t- doing summer jobs? I think I'd be a big well, fan of it. Well, you know. I think it depends on the job. Being that I didn't have summer jobs, I'd like to have the summer with them, having having fun. Let them sleep in, let them relax, let them have a good time. They get the summer off, you know. As I don't know if my dad would say this, but I feel like I've heard this. Like, you have your whole life to work. Like, they're kids. Enjoy yourself, you know. What if you take away the word summer? What do you feel about the kids having jobs, like, ever prior to being no. in college? Well, if you take away the summer then you mean they go to school all day and then after school have to do homework and then maybe they play sports, maybe they're in clubs, and then after that they go to work? Terrible. No. They're going to be burnt out. They're going to be burnt out. I'm burnt out just thinking about it. (laughs) Absolutely. No way. To me, that can be more like, that's as bad as like having the butler. Hmm. To not have a summer job, you're saying? To Yeah. Uh, All right, fine. We can get the butler. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I think, and it's it's got it, it. Actually, to me, has way less to do with the earning money piece. Although I do think there is something like real intangible to that. Like the parents aren't the ATM. In fact, I think it kind of complements the 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 
hey, we want to create some level of like them not being blinded to the financial realities of the world, like giving them early on like a mapping to like, this is what the actual economic truth is for like trying to exist and, and subsist and like having that be part of their life. But I think the other thing is like, I'm just terrified about the extent to which, and Sam and I were talking about this, the like kids these days, uh, kids these days don't have to interact with humans that much. It's, it's wild. I have my, my best friend's daughter. He, uh, a week or so ago, got in a huge fight with her because they were driving together to salad works to get a salad. And she absolutely, she's 17, absolutely refuses to order for herself, refuses to interact with the cashier. Doesn't want to like have to say like the things that she wants in her salad. And he brought it up on the way. He was like, you're going to order your own salad uh, today. And they got in such a fight that like she decided to not get the salad and they went home rather than have to interact with the cashier. And this is more normal than not. Like she's not a freak. Like this is, you know, her, according to him, you know, this is her and all of her friends. And like the, a combination of COVID and uh, the like every single interaction being digital or having an alternative that could be fully digital. And even like all your social interactions with your peers happening through Snapchat and everything else. Like, uh, God, I sound like such an old, uh, an old man, but like, I think there is this real decay in social skills and being able to navigate social situations where being someone that actually has those skills and uh, a certain comfort level doing those things is going to turn out to be a uh, incredible advantage uh, in like the cohort of kids that are, that our kids are in. And I think doing, doing work kind of summer work is an incredible place to kind of create a forcing function for that where like at the clubs and the sports and the games and everything, you're in the system, like you're in the machine. You're surrounded by other kids your age. You're surrounded by the same social pressures of those kids. You're surrounded by like the channels where they interact. And you know, if you are the cashier at the salad works, or even if you're running a lemonade stand or like doing something that is uh, maybe a little bit less committal, but you have some of that experience in your life, I think it just builds muscle in a place where it's really hard to get that muscle out of the school, you know, the, the school club complex that uh, most kids are in most of the time. Charlie just stepped out to put Layla down. Norm, I have a question for you. You alluded to wanting to emulate grit and hard work for your daughters. Has now being a father, has it made you more or less ambitious? That's a great question. I think it's maybe less ambitious but more self-aware of how I spend my time when I'm working. Like ambition hasn't gone to zero. I think like to my point earlier, like the desire to have a part of my identity wrapped up in my work and actually find like real genuine, authentic, like happiness from it and see that come out um, for my daughters. Like that remains as important as ever. I think the, um, I'm not particularly uh, like obsessed with um, like the number one thing in my life, like the number one priority in my life, like it might've been in my, in my twenties is to create this enormous, incredible, like economic outcome or like get the, you know, the best, uh, the best acquirer for my company or something like that. But I think those things, what, like that thing should be, that should be an output, not an input anyway. Right? Like if that's an input, if that's the reason that you're going and starting companies, you're going to, you're going to end up building really bad companies. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the, those are net results anyway. So 
ambition again has a lot less to do with it than the ability to make smart decisions and persevere and not burn out and i think that's very well correlated with the example i want to set for for the girls and that actually ends up being this huge blessing like I work way less than I did before the girls were around. I think I'm better at my job all around. Uh, and I think that like fewer hours at drastically higher quality is the, the current state of the world. Um, and I have them to thank for that. Uh, and that probably will result in a better outcome in a way that like I could have never even contemplated or articulated until they got here. Uh huh. Let's switch gears and talk about marriage. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> So Norm is on his third marriage with Ellie, which third time's a charm. Is yeah. Uh, let's let's start with y- this marriage. Yeah. Uh, so right now you guys have two daughters. We have a son and daughter. This has been a a real struggle for us to find times to reconnect with each other because it's it feels like it's a constant shit show and we're just trying to keep our head above water. And it's it's very stressful time, and I find that we are a lot less patient with each other. We are not as loving towards each other mm-hmm. as as maybe we were before we had kids, and it's led to I would say it's just like a time right now where we we argue more frequently, and I think more than ever it's really important to find times where we can like come back to we love each other and you know, we're in this for the long haul. And we're just, I'm just wondering, like, how do you two navigate that? How do you come back to that place of, okay, we're on the same team, let's do this? We're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, I would agree with you. It's hard to find the compassion towards each other. You're constantly stressed and your priorities are different. And, you know, um, obviously we both have the priorities of, of our daughters at the top, but then there's mixed in priorities of, like, his work, well, I don't have a, a typical traditional job, so my, my work priorities are, are the kids again. So um, next on my list would be my marriage, but for him, I think the marriage falls a little bit lower because it's like kids and work. Are you guys big on love languages? A little bit. Well, I have a, I have a tie for number one. They came in, they were overwhelming yeah, numbers, neck and neck. but the same number, and it was quality time and acts of service. So I... And I'm sorry, because yeah. I've never done this before. Okay. So I, I just was thinking that you just look at what the love languages are, and you're like, oh, okay, that's me. No, you take a quiz. Gotcha. So you yeah. take a quiz, and this, this quiz is like a would you rather. So there is a bunch of would you rathers, and it's like um, how when you feel most loved by your partner, and it'll be something along the lines of like, it's when he holds my hand in public, or when he... Um, does the dishes for me. Definitely the dishes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so that that would be yeah. an act of service. Right. But there's so many, and they're calculated in a way that it makes you answer, you know, answer, you know, the, the hold my hand in public would be... Um, physical touch. Physical touch. Yeah. So, so then <laughs> by the end, you get your love languages, and it's on a point system. Well, my top two were, like, huge numbers, quality time, and acts of service. Way down at the bottom was touch and um, words of affirmation. So then for, for Norm, his is words of affirmation, um, you know, running away with it. And funny enough, touch also was low on the list, but I told him I think that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this, because- is the, this is the problem with love languages, I think, is like it's one of those tests where the result that you get is 
what you think of yourself as opposed right. to what your reality is. And I feel like a really fun way to do the love languages quiz would be for us to fill it out for each other. Like yeah. our sense of what yeah. the actual answer yeah. is for each other. Because I just know like for, you know, it doesn't happen so much anymore because like we're super tired. But there used to be a time where like if we were laying in bed together, his foot had to be touching me. It was like definitely enjoys touch. Like so um, <laughs> so I, us I usually tease him that he, he rigged the system. <laughs> but uh, words of affirmation... Um, interesting one for me to have a partner with words of affirmation as his love language because I'm terrible at words of affirmation. You're terrible at giving? Yes, um. terrible. And it's something that I try to remind myself of. So right. you're aware reason, of it now. Yeah. So the reason I brought this up is because when I'm trying to think, why have we not connected? We're not speaking each other's love language mm -hmm. at all. And it's because there's just we're not focused on it, we're not thinking of our partner, we're distracted, we're thinking of other things. So then I remind myself, uh, well, words of affirmation, like he wants me to tell him how much I appreciate him, how, how much he means to me, what a great job he's doing. And like, as I get, as I get busier and busier, I'm just like, do more, you know? Yeah. And, and then it's, it's, I'm doing the opposite of the words of affirmation. I'm making him feel like he's not doing enough. Well, right. this is a vicious cycle too, but, uh, be, uh, exacerbated by kids or actually initiated by kids. You know, there were minuscule versions of this, this challenge before, but like kids have a hundred X it. And it's the cycle starts with acts and service and quality time are Ellie's two babies. <laughs> and the, uh, what happens with kids in the environment. So time becomes like this ex extremely rare commodity. What are the two things that uh, require time out of the list of love languages? It's acts of service and quality time. They actually compete against each other. So like an act of service that might be cleaning the kitchen or doing the dishes or making dinner, uh, by definition, because the kids are in the picture, doing any of those things is impossible with kids. So by doing that, I'm therefore just doing more hours in the day where Ellie has to be with the kids. So um, what ends up happening is like, then the alternative would be, okay, we find that quality time and we go and figure out how to do a date night or we put a puzzle together. And then uh, she wakes up the next morning and the entire kitchen's a total mess because it didn't get done the night before. And I'm, I'm away at work and it's like, you know, her takeaway is like, I am like a servant to our home. Like where is Norm in the, the calculus of how stuff gets done around this place? So this then breeds a level of, it's an impossible situation that creates resentment, which makes it intellectually impossible for her to give me words of affirmation because she resents me for not, you know, doing the, and, and yeah. like rightfully so, like she is an extremely genuine, authentic, hard on her sleeve person. And it is against her character to be disingenuous to say, Hey, you're doing a great job when you're stuck in that situation. Yeah. So like, when I don't do? think he's doing it. Yeah. You know, and this is why yeah. we need a fucking Butler because <laughs> the, like the, the acts, the acts of service pieces here that are robbing us of the ability to do quality time are this stupid bullshit. So you, that, like, so you want the Butler to to give me my love languages? Is that what I'm hearing? I want a butler to check one of your acts love of, language boxes so that I can service, give you the other one. Yeah. Acts of service, check. The butler does yeah. that. And then I'll give the butler my words of affirmation. <laughs> wow, you're doing such a great job around here. As long as I get the touch. As long as the butler's not getting the touch. Well, this remind like, it's so interesting they articulated it this way because I've never thought about it like this. But the way we connect 
it's cooking a great dinner together, opening a bottle of wine, and then after dinner, like watching a show we're watching together and touching one another, like either each rubbing each other's feet. feet or whatever it is, yeah. but requires time. And that we are in very low supply of right yeah. now. And so it's not shocking that it's been hard to connect because those are historically like the way we've always connected. I'm actually really impressed how self-aware you both are with your love languages and recognizing like why it's not really working right now. You're in, in a good place, I would say, even though it feels like you're not connecting. It's like you know why you're not connecting. Yeah. It's just frustrating and I stressful. I think we, we do have a pretty deep understanding of each other and what makes mm-hmm. us tick and like how to get back there. It's just, well, no, no, we don't know the how. We know what needs to happen. We don't know exactly how. And sometimes recognizing that you're in the cycle is enough to just at least, it doesn't give the love languages, but it, it creates empathy. Like yeah. it, mm. it creates a level of just like, yeah, I tell you what, like we might not be doing what we need to do for each other, but we're in this together. Right. Like we're in, we're yeah. both in this situation. Well, let me paint a picture. So Ellie, you've had just a shit day with the girls you're mm-hmm. and like you've been with them for 10 hours straight and norm you've had a ridiculously stressful day at work either um a sales deal didn't go through or you had to fire somebody and now you walk downstairs to re-engage with the family like how does that like ellie you just want to hand the girls off and have some space and norm you haven't had like a, a stress-free day either like how does that how do you navigate that poorly <laughs> i i don't know i i, I don't think, necessarily think it is poorly yeah i think i leave and you can you, you'll be a better judge of this than me but i do think i leave it on the field with work a lot he, yeah he doesn't really so like if he had a particularly stressful day at work he doesn't necessarily come downstairs with that it's more like i'll tell you what normally what usually happens normal come downstairs and say okay how can I most be helpful? Would you like me to take Molly or take Emily? Emily? And I could take Emily for a walk and get out of your hair. Or would you rather I, you know, start dinner? He kind of like gives me a choice um, with what's on my plate in front of me. And like sometimes he'll just take Emily out for a walk. And like when I'm down to one kid, it's so much more manageable. Um or maybe we just order dinner or like it's just like kind of um, taking but it's more like he comes downstairs like trying to figure out the game plan for the next hour and what can be most helpful. That's great. I need yeah. I need to do that. Like I don't do that at all. Um, asking questions I think is key too because then you're allowing your partner to have um, like to really think about what is going to take a load off rather than just like unleashing their frustration I guess and honestly sometimes I'm in such a bad mood that I don't even have a a good answer and I'm kind of like and that's when I can tell you've had a bad day because you'll just not you don't you have such decision fatigue like Mm. you're so Mm. mentally fatigued that the worst thing I can possibly do is give you a choice yeah so then I just look at him I go well I mean I have no idea (laughs) and I'll say like you could take that one for a walk but this one is really bothering me. Who's going to cook dinner? Well, then what's going to happen with dinner? Yeah, so it's like there are times where... Do dinner plan? Yeah. Yes, exactly. dinner. So, like, there, I hate meals. Me too. hate meals. What's your solution to meals? Butler. 
Yeah. I gotta stop using the B word because it's really not. No, that's you know, gonna be the title of the podcast. I, want, I just want like two hours a day out of a family helper. Yeah. It's gonna lighten family some assistant. loads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate meals. I I love food. I love feeding myself. <laughs> I would eat all day. I hate feeding my kids. It is just such a stress. Like, I just, I don't know what to give them. It feels like it runs my day. So, like, dinner, I, I can't stand dinner. Mm-mm. You know, it's just, uh, it's a stress for me. And it is. Okay. I feel like during the pandemic, something, I don't know if it's our, maybe we got COVID and lost a sense of taste. And tell me if you feel this, but I just feel like the like the getting the novelty and luxuriousness and amazingness of getting delivery or like getting a DoorDash order from like your favorite restaurant. It's just like everything just tastes like wet French fries <laughs> now. And it's really hard. Like there, when we like really want to splurge, it's like, let's go, we're going to do cheesecake factory and get, you know, whatever the heck we want. And like, yeah, it's good. It's absolutely good. But there is something about it that is like, uh, yeah, it tastes it tastes like <laughs> sadness, right? Uh, and it's like it's That's good, brilliant. but uh, well, because like a meal is never even if you got takeout, a meal is never enjoyable. Yeah. It can't be enjoyable when you have someone, you know, yelling at you, <laughs> "Read me a book," you know, just I can't I can't read to you. I'm eating. You know, it just, yeah, it's, it's it's and you're just getting yelled at. Read, read, read. So and you like can, throwing the eighteen dollar mac and cheese on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you just, so it's just, there's, and, and the worst part of it is like, that is the time. So like back to my love language, it's quality time. I finally have my husband there with me to like share in this misery. And, uh, I just want to talk to him. I want to ask him about his day. I want to tell him what happened to me that day. I love to talk. I love to communicate with him. And here we are across from the dinner table. Oh, so like, what happened with that meeting? And like, read me a book. <laughs> you know, mommy, 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 mommy. And it does, it's just like, I can't hear Norm. It's just like, we're trying to talk over it. But I, you know, it's like, you cannot have a, a conversation. You can't talk. So it's we like, deal with that. Doesn't this, isn't this comforting? This is so comforting. <laughs> it's like when we're trying to connect a long day apart and we're trying to connect over dinner and George is just going. Screaming. You've seen, you've seen George you've have his seen moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're getting progressively louder and I'm getting progressively more pissed off. Yeah. And, and yeah. in the moment, I always feel like he's getting mad at me. And I'm like, I'm just getting frustrated I know, that he, I can't connect. With and, and the same thing happens to me. I'm getting frustrated and he sometimes feels like I'm like annoyed with him. And it's just like, no, this just sucks. I can't even hear myself. Like, yeah. well, Norm is not an angry person. He never gets mad at me. Mm. And yet I always think he's mad at me. It's the same thing mm. because if, if he is having a rough time, I, I always internalize it. Like, is it something I did or said? Or like, is there something? Like, I always want to fix it. But it's like, I can't fix it. But going back to the love languages, in terms of words of affirmation, like, which you said is way down the list. If he said, I'm not mad at you. I just had a shit day at work or something. Would that help? Or do you need like the quality time and the acts of service for it w- you to yeah. know that he's not mad at you? It would help if he just flat out told me. Uh-huh. It would. Because I'm big on communication. Like, Got I... It. I so you don't need the affirmation but you need the communication yeah I need direct communication if you're not mad at me just say like man I am just in a bad mood it is not you it is just 
you know, this, that, or the other thing, it will help my, my brain shut off because otherwise I am just like overthinking what mm. it could possibly be. And, you know, sometimes he'll say to me, I don't want to talk about it. Oh God, we have to, <laughs> we, you, you can't just tell me I don't want to talk about it because then I am going to be living up here and f like in my head and feel like I can't talk to Norm because what am I going to talk about? All I can think about right now is like, why is he mad? And it's complicated by the trying to leave it on the field because like this is the trade-off of being able to come down after a terrible day and immediately like plug into let me be the, the dad family person is if if that does like start to encroach through me talking about it is the worst possible thing because it just then will actually contaminate my ability to like be good and be present in that other mode. And I think what I'm, I'm trying to compartmentalize in ways that is probably not always sustainable and like on the worst, the, you know, the worst 2% of days I probably should just like come down and unload and be vocal and transparent. But I don't know what happens when one of my worst 2% of days is also one of Ellie's worst 2% of days. And then it's like, let me come down and unload and make this all about me. And then it turns out that some terrible thing happened during the day today. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's also not fair that my mind takes precedent over yours. Absolutely true. Uh, but there is an unfairness in the dynamic of our relationship, which is, I get to go to work. I get all of this like engagement with other humans and I get to travel more often. And sometimes it's really, really hard and terrible and it's definitely worse than nothing. Sometimes it is absolutely unquestionably worse than nothing. But I think on the whole, it's significantly better than nothing and it's good for me and it helps my mental health and it gives me these outlets that, that you don't have access to any of. Well, um, now that you put it that way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so your stuff, your stuff, your bad is you know good point. Norm, good point. I love talking about this because I think that so many couples struggle, especially when their kids are so little, especially when you have more than one kid. It's refreshing to hear you guys share and appreciate you guys sharing and being so candid about everything. And I, I don't know how you feel about this, Sam, but it makes me feel like what we're going through is is okay and it's normal and and this is just a phase and um it's just very comforting because when when stuff gets hard it's like you start to like question or doubt like is this is this how it's supposed to be are we doing something wrong um are we going to last and i don't think that like of course i <laughs> i don't question our marriage but the eleventh yeah. and final episode. You go of the <laughs> whatever podcast this you, is. You podcast. just you go to dark places sometimes, and when you hear other couples who have a similar, of course, different, but like just something similar about it, it's like, oh, okay, like we're all going through like a hard time, and we're it, it makes you just feel like we're in this together, and and this is just like the way it goes. When you know you you say your vows at your wedding, it's just like this is the shit they don't really talk about. You think about like the hard things you're going to go through is going to be like death in the family and like money struggles. You don't think about like just having kids is going to be like the thing yeah. that puts you over the edge. Cooking dinner. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel the same way as you. It's like very, it's great to have these conversations. And I think it's like, for me, it deepens friendships too, because with a lot of our friends, we don't get to this depth of like relationship mm -hmm. speak. And like, I've learned a ton and like there are so many things that norm said that i want to emulate like one is trying to leave it all on the field and mm -hmm. then also reframing it like i get 
to sit in there and learn about companies. And that is so awesome. It's like going back to the passions. It's like I love this stuff. And sure, there's going to be times like where I don't enjoy it or whatever. But too often I come out here and like I'm reframing it. Like I have to be in there. And it's like I'm spread too thin where if I reframe it a little bit and it's like I just had the best time. Like it was so intellectually stimulating like learning about this new company and now I get to be with two awesome kids and my like it's just, and you it's great mm-hmm. so well I am so impressed with all of us that we got through this <laughs> with four little kids some sleeping some not some screaming some not uh, and this was really really fun I appreciate you guys coming on, being our first guests, and being so open and transparent with us. And um, it's really cool that we're, Ellie and I are still friends after, Sam just said, it's been like 19 years oh my God, since we crazy. met. Like, yeah, that's so crazy. crazy. And we were just saying how, or I was just saying how you're really my only friend from college that I'm still, like, close with. Um, so it, it's really cool, and it's really nice to... Uh, really meet Norm. I've only met you once before, and it was very brief. Same here. Yeah. So thanks this for was, welcoming us into your home. It, I mean, lovely. your your kids are beautiful and wonderful, and and this is awesome. So thank you, guys. Sam, anything from you? No, this was really really fun. I love this medium to like get to know friends better. Like yeah. there's something that the microphone does to get you to be more honest. Yeah, we're gonna uh, get some. I think this is the best <laughs> SNL sketch I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to close off and then, um, you know, get drinking, get eating, and hanging out with our kids again. Yeah. All right. I've been drinking all day. (laughs) 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 Yes, let's get to it. All right, you guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye. 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 Thanks.